1: a creator and entrepreneur and i'm danielle alexandra a
2: stylist and content creator and we are in in case case you you haven't heard heard podcast, podcast we're giving you the behind the scenes and an inside scoop of what really goes down so you know exactly what the fuck
1: is going on
2: Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of In Case You Haven't Heard. Your favorite
1: podcast, you already know, coming at you every Wednesday. Thank you guys for tuning in again. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. Five stars. Leave us a review. It really helps us out. It helps us out. It helps us get noticed and... At That's all for those charts. So we hope you guys are having a good summer. Danielle and I yes, have been enjoying the
2: sunshine, getting a little tan. Tan, I've relaxation. Been- yes, all of the above. If you guys are Maybe working Maybe summer Fridays now? Summer Fridays. Yeah, when you take Friday off for the summertime. You know
1: what? I have heard
2: I or not where- Friday off completely, but The afternoon. Well,
1: I've heard that there's, you know, some jobs or some places where they've implemented, I guess some companies is what I should say, have implemented working Monday to Thursday and not working Fridays and having that extra day off actually makes their employees more productive in that four day period. Because Friday is always like either like half of write off or people are just like not the mood as much. So I feel like eliminating completely could be super effective for some some businesses. Maybe I should start doing that. Yeah. No, we work seven days a week. So that's the difference
2: (laughs) here in the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial space or whatever you want to call it. We're going to jump right into today's episode. We will be interviewing Rosa Halpern. She is
1: the founder of By The Namesake, which is a custom leather namesake brand based out of Toronto. She is a designer, the founder, and we're going to let her take it away and explain how she built her niche brand. So Rosa, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got you know, into creating your, your brand?
0: For sure. So, um, namesake started completely accidentally. I went, I always was in fashion. I went to school for fashion design and construction at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And then I I graduated school and I moved to New York and I was working in New York and the company that I was working for at the time dissolved. And I kind of took it as a sign that I should change where I was. I was a bit over the New York fashion scene. And I uh, moved back home to Toronto to save money to move to Europe. And while I was living here, a friend of mine asked me to make her a leather jacket. She was an athlete with really broad shoulders and she's tiny, but had really broad shoulders. So she couldn't find a jacket that worked for her. So I made her a jacket and then, you know, a few more friends wanted them and a few more friends wanted them. And before I knew it, I had like a 25 person waitlist, looking for custom leather jackets. And at the same time that all this was happening, I was working retail as a manager and I was doing ass- assistant buying. And something I noticed in both of those positions was that leather jackets tended to be one of the items that sat on the shelves and had a hard time moving. And the feedback I heard was, oh, this jacket would be perfect if, or this would be the Greatest leather jacket, but I don't like the belt or whatever, you know, like there was always something off. And when you're investing in a leather jacket, you want that perfect, you know, style for you because it is more of a luxury price point. And so, yeah, the two stars kind of aligned. I was here, I was noticing that leather jackets weren't moving. And then I was having all these people who were approaching me looking for custom leather. And, you know, one thing led to another. And here we are.
2: It's interesting how leather jackets are, they have that luxury price point, but it's an everyday wear item. So that's why customizing your leather jacket is so genius. And because people want to invest in the piece, but they also want to wear it every, or, you know, they could wear it every day. So it needs to be durable. It needs to be well made. It needs to be
1: it fit to your body. Fit to your that's body. Why, yeah. Uh, customization is so key in this.
2: So why leather? I mean, it seems like it kind of was a fluke and something that just you produced because there was a need for it, but does it go any deeper?
0: For sure I kind of fell into it because there was uh, people were approaching me, but also it's always been my personal style, like I've worn a, I've always loved leather jacket and always loved kind of like customizing my own before I was actually making them. And in terms of the material, there's a certain like materialism to working with leather that I absolutely adore in the early days. And now since COVID, I've been actually making every single piece myself. And like, I love sewing and I, I'm a total perfectionist. And with leather, you kind of get one shot, right? Like when the needle goes through the leather, you can't unpick that stitch because it actually makes a hole in the leather. And so there's this certain like, kind of like it's upping the ante of sewing to like a a different level that I really enjoy. You really have to be like a total perfectionist or crazy or both. But also I think that there are certain kind of judgment, you can experience judgment working in the fashion industry. And, you know, I, I worked in the fashion industry literally since I was like Sixteen, And, you know, this attitude, especially when I went to an art school that wasn't a fashion school, it was like predominantly an art school. There was this attitude of like, oh, that's so cute. You're in the fashion department. Like, you're making cute little prom dresses. That was the attitude. And that really bothered me. And leather is like this really kind of tough, heavy material that a lot of designers just stay away from completely because of that. It's too hard. And so there's something I really like about, like, working in the fashion industry, but it's a more kind of hands-on, like, heavy-duty material, and I I like that about it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's almost like the juxtaposition between, like, what people assume the fashion industry is about, and then, like, you trying to, like, use the fabric that's just, like, the hardest edges and be like, no, it's actually really tough. Go try this yourself. Like, you
0: can't do it. It's diminished. And I'm sure, Christina, you've experienced this. Like, It's like people almost don't take you seriously at first or your brand seriously at first because it's like just another fashion brand. And there's this certainly a stigma of like, oh yeah, you're a girl who likes clothes. Of course, you're going to try to be a designer. And I think Mm -hmm. that-
1: It's like your dream since you were growing up, sort of. Yeah.
0: And specifically, I mean, there's other ways to kind of break that barrier down, but certainly working with leather is a really easy way to do that and to be like, nah, That's not what it's about. Like, you know, so yeah, I love it. I also really love the fact that I'm making something that is going to last forever and isn't going to end up in a landfill. It's, you know, our jackets, if taken care of properly, could be handed down to your daughter or your granddaughter or whatever. And there's something really cool about that. And also, despite popular misconception, it is a really sustainable... Material to be working with. 100% of the leather we use is a direct byproduct of the food industry, which means that the leather is from animals that have already been killed for the meat industry. And it's actually using the whole animal and honoring that animal by using the entire being. And we're really, really careful with who we work with for that exact reason. And so there's also a sustainability side of it as well that I enjoy.
1: So let's get into that a little bit. I think sustainability is a very important thing to consider when you have a brand, especially, you know, throughout this time, like when we experienced the pandemic and having essentially like the head or the leaders of the fashion space, like the brands that are at the forefront of everything starting to change their ways and starting to realize like how important it is to become more sustainable, to have, you know, less collections throughout the year that aren't sold fully or like just are half the time going to waste. And I think your business model also is sustainable in the fact that it is customized, right? So there's a lot of, there's limited waste due to that process as well. For sure.
0: Yeah, so we really have like next to no waste because we are made to order. When your order comes in, we then source the material specific to that order. So we don't have piles of material sitting around that are going to be thrown away. It's really like we we buy and use what we need. Like I said already, the material is all sustainable in and by itself. It's made in Toronto in our studio. So we're not using, you know, any factory labor or sweatshop labor or anything, I think sweatshop labor is somewhat like, you know, we've, a lot of people have moved away from that. But even more so, the people who are making our garments are like literally recent college grads who who it really is more of an art and a very specialized kind of learning process that they go through to be able to learn to work with the leather. So the labor conditions that they work in is amazing. It's like literally in our studio here, the material itself is sustainable and we're not wasting any And any scrap we do have, we actually repurpose. So all of our small leather goods are made from our leather scraps, as well as we're actually getting into some other things, which I guess I can talk about that are gonna be using a lot of leather scraps that will be coming out in September. So that's really exciting. So, literally, like we'll have at that point no waste whatsoever. Every single scrap is going to be used.
2: Was that something when you were thinking about expanding past leather jackets? Was consuming or using up that waste something that triggered accessories or was it kind of a byproduct? I mean, for sure, we had like pieces that were too small
0: to use for the jackets, and we definitely didn't want to throw them out. For a while, we were donating our scraps to a local arts organization, and we still do some of that with some of our kind of leather that wouldn't be appropriate for accessories. But um, definitely, it was a matter of like, okay, we have all these scraps, what, what can we what can we use them for? And that's how they were born.
2: And you have leather jackets, accessories, fur, and also a menswear collection. How did you get introduced to menswear or was it something that you had envisioned for the label? Not at all. I absolutely did not want to get into menswear. And I mean,
0: going back again to school, like when we had to do menswear in school, I hated that. I love men's fashion, don't get me wrong. But really who I'm designing for is like me or my alter ego. And so for me, designing for a woman comes so easily. I have such a better understanding of what women want to wear and also how to really flatter women's body types. I do all the patterning in house, which means I'm coming up with all of the actual like silhouettes and patterns and fit and everything. And patterning for women came so easily to me because I fully understood the curves and the, you know, way our bodies move. Um, And for men, I just felt less inspired. I also felt a little less inspired in terms of creatively what I could do because I'm not, you know, we are an edgy brand, but we're not an avant-garde brand. And I think a lot of women are willing to take more risks and, and dress a little bolder. Whereas for a man, they have to be really out there or really avant-garde to want to go that extra distance. And so I didn't feel creatively inspired at all. However, you know, I was hearing from so many customers, oh, like I would love to buy my husband a jacket, my boyfriend wants a jacket, my son wants a jacket. And at a point, I kind of was like, as a businesswoman, I'm I'm losing money and I'm cutting mm-hmm. off half my clientele. And so truly men's came as a business decision more than anything. And I think that as a creative entrepreneur, you're always kind of fighting your inner creative and your, you know, the business side of your brain and you're going back and forth and it's, it's a push and a pull. And that being said, I love our men's Wear collection. I think it's awesome. I was able in terms of the production and kind of like how I'm, how I was working with the patterns. I was able to make it a lot more streamlined um, because I was three years into the business. And so all the mistakes that I had made in the beginning, when I was developing the women's patterns, I was able to kind of like make sure I did them correctly. And it's been interesting though, because since launching our men's, They've, our men's jackets have actually been incredibly popular with women so we sold a oh my ton God, of yes men's like the overs yes yeah. so it's it. part that's part of the like aesthetic right now it's funny because you know I did all this to attract a new customer. And what I ended up doing was like, I have, of course, have some new male customers, but I would say the majority of our males, men's jackets have actually been to women. to women. So it's kind of funny. Oh I guess God, I'm still designing awesome. for the woman at, the, at my heart, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, again, you said before, it's like balancing what you want to do, but for your business, but then like what your customers want. And then you're like, okay, I'll lean into that a little bit more what my customers want. And then it's just bringing you right back where you wanted mm-hmm, to anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, works, yeah. it worked out really well for you.
0: I also was just going to say we do also have custom pants as well, which is new for us.
2: Yes, so when you were listing amazing.
0: our different collections, cool. we do custom pants as well, which was a new a new thing we added last fall. And we are going to be launching another new collection of more like lifestyle pieces as well.
1: That's amazing. So the first time I heard about you was through like two people had mentioned something about custom leather jackets, but I think they, and they mentioned like by the namesake. And I remember they were telling me like something about it not being in Toronto. So I actually thought it was like based out of New York or something. And then, I mean, I've been following Danielle Bernstein for a while. So then I saw like your color swatches and your leather swatches in her story of you, like visiting her in New York and, you know, her customizing a jacket. I think she probably got like the mode crop as one of them. So how has an experience like that and like influencer marketing really kind of played into how your brand has grown in a short period of time?
0: I mean, it's been huge. Danielle in particular has been massive for us. She's been a huge advocate of the brand like since day one. And, you know, at this point she probably has like... I don't know, seven or eight jackets. And she's, she, she definitely has popularized us a lot specifically in New York um, because a, a lot of her following is in New York and she's been amazing both as an influencer, a supporter, as well as, as a friend. Um, she's pretty awesome. I've had other experiences with influencers that haven't been so great. And I think that ultimately the reason that my relationship and, and, with Danielle has been so great is because genuinely she loves the brand to the point where she was willing to kind of jump on board with the brand day one when I had no one wearing it and it was a complete unknown and she just got it. And I think my other experiences with influencers that haven't been so great have come down to the, the kind of point that, it wasn't, they didn't get it. And it wasn't within their natural wheelhouse. And Danielle is is my customer. She's, you know, edgy, but feminine, New York, cool girl. And that is my customer 100%. And there've been times where I've been like, okay, I, I have the New York, I have that customer already. I want to go after like, you know, more like, I'm using this as an example, like the Southern Belle type girl and try to attract that customer. So I've worked with a influencer who kind of maybe more has that demographic and it hasn't worked as effectively for me and I think it's because that's me not trying to be true to myself and the brand and so it's like if I follow the brand and follow what is true to us it's always much more effective than when I'm trying to stretch of course we have to stretch somewhat to grow but in terms of thinking, you know, when we gift an influencer jacket, for example, which we very rarely do, that's a huge gift. We're not gifting a bathing suit that only costs 20 bucks to make. We're, we're, we're gifting a jacket that retails for over $2,000. So we really have to be very, very, very specific and careful. And that's something I've learned through successes and failures.
2: That's a huge tip, uh, especially developing your brand through influencer marketing is being true and authentic and partnering with people who genuinely like your brand and will promote and advertise for free just because they Mm -hmm. love it so much. I think that authenticity really shows. And that's a great takeaway for anyone who is looking to build Build their brand, develop their brand through influencer marketing is, is look for people who authentically align with what your brand stands for and genuinely loves your product.
0: Exactly. And also offering, you know, something we do instead of gifting is we offer an industry discount often. And so that kind of thing is for that influencer to be like, okay, I love it so much. I'm willing to spend money on it. Makes me more willing to give a more generous discount because it means that it's going to be an authentic partnership and, you know, really, really work Whereas like the last thing I want to do is put something in someone's closet that they're not going to wear. And that is, is, is not a leather jacket. Like you said at the very beginning is meant to be worn every day. And part of the reason that my partnership with Danielle works so well is because she goes for the namesake jacket every day because it's her favorite jacket. So she'll wear it organically over and over and over and over again, rather than wearing it once for a photo and then putting it in the back of your closet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you've done a few pop-ups over the past year specifically. I think you did a lot last year. For example, the one that you did in New York in, I believe it was September. How, like, do you would you say that, you know, because of the popularity of your brand, you know, through Danielle and through some other influencers there, you had Mm -hmm. such an incredible turnout at the pop-up. I mean, I was following your stories and I just saw like I mean, I swear every influencer there probably, I don't know if they were buying jackets or just popping in, but regardless, I think that really helped with exposure. And as a small brand, you know, having pop-ups, it's like always about getting the word out there. Right. And it's like, how do I do this? Do I run ads? Do I get a PR team involved? Like,
0: I don't know what the steps are. So pop-ups are like a massive part of our business model. And in fact, you know, we probably, that's probably our highest kind of revenue producing thing is pop-ups more than online, more than Anything more than our studio here, we really rely on pop ups, and something that we've been, I guess, practicing the last few years is what pop up model works best for us. And so, the specific pop up you're talking about in New York was our first time doing a pop up completely by ourselves. And what I mean by that is normally we partner with a store, so we'll go to the store and say, Hey, you know, we or the store will come to us, we want to pop up, we bring all of our stuff, we set up within their store. The store is responsible for bringing customers to us and in exchange, they take a cut of our sales. We've done that in New York prior to our November pop-up. We had done that twice in New York. So we already had started building a kind of customer base in New York through doing pop-ups with other stores. We got to a point where our last pop-up in New York was so effective that the store made a lot of money off of us. But okay. It was all our customers. Like Mm -hmm. everybody was coming because they knew us through social media or this or that. And we got to the point where we were like, okay, why are we giving away so much of our money when we could kind of just do this ourselves? And so our pop-up in New York, we rented the storefront for a week. We rented all the furniture. We did the decor. We did everything ourselves, which was incredibly expensive upfront because New York real estate is insane Mm -hmm. and furnishing and staffing and everything. But in the end, we ended up not just keeping more profit ourselves, but more importantly, we were able to create an entire environment that spoke to us as a brand. And so the artwork on the walls, the way it was decorated, the little things that we had, you know, were me, were were what we are all about. And what it meant is that people were stopping in because they had never seen this store. They thought it was a new store that had just opened, not a, not a temporary pop-up. And, you know, we had that, but we also were able to kind of all the connections we had made through of influencers, even if, you know, it was just like a very small kind of connection. We I was willing to kind of reach for it and push for it because it was all us. So I, I felt like, you know, If I'm bringing an influencer in one of these big influencers in, not that I don't want to share because I'm all into collaboration, but why am I going to bring them into another store when I have one rack in the store, whereas when I can bring them in and they understand the full namesake vision and the full picture, it made a lot more sense so much of our product is being able to see it and touch it. And, you know, Christina, you've seen we have all of our leathers and all of the things and they can touch and they can feel, and it's such a tactile experience. And we were able to bring that to them in a way that we couldn't when we just had a rack in a store. And that was really, really great. However, that works for New York. That doesn't work for any necessarily another city. So we did have a huge travel year. We were in a different city every month from September till January. And it was exhausting. And we learned so much about each city. The way that I would do a pop-up in New York is so different than the way I would do a pop-up in LA, which is so different than the way I would do a pop-up in Chicago. But the only way you can learn that is to go and do it. And, and see and explore. And we always add at least two days to the, on either end, either before or after to go and go to other stores and go to like different neighborhoods and scout and figure out, okay, if we were to come back, this is the neighborhood we want to be in or whatever, and really kind of carve the, the experience to that city because people don't shop the same or behave the same city to city. So last year was kind of our scouting learning experience our plan for 2020 was to kind of implement everything we had learned last year. However, it's really difficult because right now we have no idea what what 2020 is going to look like. We have no idea if we're going to be able to travel. We have no idea if the U.S. border is going to be open. So it's going to be about being able to be really nimble and kind of come up with a plan on the fly and really run with it.
2: I imagine your experience in retail really helped you have that idea of not every city is going to be the same because, you know, not every, just because you're carrying the same things doesn't mean it's going to sell the same way when you're presenting it to a different audience. So that's really a tip for people out there who want to get into the pop-up game. And there may be a heavy upfront cost. You also have to think about all the other things that you're accomplishing. You're not only providing a pop-up, but you're Really, doing silent advertising, you're networking, you're building a community, you're making your presence known in that city that you may or may not have had a customer base before. Yes, maybe pop ups have, you know, a heavy upfront cost. However, don't even think about it as I'm going to sell this amount of product and get this much in return, but think about it as how many other things you're investing in you're investing in PR you're investing in your you know you may do photos and advertising content content. Um, there are so many other things involved and to follow up on that I think that you learn more from the pop-ups that go badly than the
0: pop-ups that go well and I think that's actually like a experience in business in general like you learn more from your mistakes and your wins because you learn what to do next time and when everything goes well you're just like oh my god it was amazing whereas when things don't go well you have to really sit back and say okay why didn't that work what do i need to change and you know we've had pop-ups that were amazing we've also had pop-ups that were complete busts and we really like you said instead of those pop-ups concentrated on making connections on content creation on things like that because You're in it, you know. What are you going to do? You have to, you've got to pivot and make it work. So I think that's great advice.
1: Yeah. Like, based on what you just said, something that we brought up in a previous episode was it's really about like failure, failing forward. So failures are, are something that push you, you know, forward and make you like, grow, which is ultimately gonna lead to more success down the line.
0: And also not being ashamed of them, you know, like I think that obviously you don't need to go advertise that this was terrible, but like I'm guilty of this too when something doesn't go as well as I thought it would. Like I feel I feel it so intensely and I have to learn to like be patient with myself because there is no guidebook for this. You know, we're learning on on the go and not being too hard on yourself when things aren't perfect.
1: So kind of touching on, you know, how 2020 is unpredictable. I know you guys recently, I think recently relaunched your, you know, try at home service. How -hmm. has that kind of played into this time? So have you seen like more people gravitate towards doing that? Have you been relying on that as a way to get more, you know, incoming sales?
0: So we actually didn't relaunch it. We just kind of had naturally a resurgence of it. So I'm so glad that you thought we we relaunched it. I thought you guys (laughs) relaunched it. That's amazing. Um, (laughs) It looks amazing. Um, So basically, for those of you who don't know what Try at Home is, is Try at Home is something we launched a year and a half ago, two years ago. I can't even remember at this point. And the whole idea of it is obviously we understand that buying something that's, you know, of a luxury price point, never having seen it, never having tried it on is really challenging. And so with try at home, you get to select two jackets to try and we send you canvas jackets. Normally somebody knows what style they're interested in. So let's say they want the Yoko, but they don't know if they're four or six, they'll pick the Yoko four, Yoko six. They could pick two different styles if they prefer. And then we'll send leather swatches, lining swatches, hardware swatches, measuring tape pins. And um, they actually get then a one-on-one digital consultation with me or somebody else on my team where we walk them through the whole kit. We explain to them how to take measurements, adjustments. Most of the time it's simple things like letting it out in the bust, nothing too crazy, but, um, you know, simple adjustments, adjusting the sleeve length, walking through the different leather options because it can be overwhelming. And since covid we've seen a massive uptick in the demand for our try at home kit and we i feel really lucky because you know we already had that in place and it just it worked for the time and you know i saw a lot of brands kind of scrambling to like figure out what they could do luckily we already had it in place and so it was it was a lot of our customers had wrote to me and said i've always wanted or not customers followers or fans of the brand said oh I've, I've always wanted to do this but I never had the time or I didn't know if it was going to be too t- you know whatever I finally have the time let's do it and so mm-hmm. we saw a huge uptick in in that and I also think that COVID has taught everybody that we can connect virtually and not that it replaces human interaction but that it works and so you know it's not the same thing as coming to the studio, but people are more willing to say, okay, I'll try to do it online or whatever. So it's been great. We've definitely had an increase in demand for try at home. And in terms of looking forward towards 2020, the rest of 2020, we're definitely going to be continuing to push that and create more samples so that we have more stock available to send out. So yeah, they they get it. They try it on at home. They record their adjustments on the cards we send. And then we also include a prepaid return envelope. So it comes back to us. And if you end up buying the jacket, the cost of doing try at home is reimbursed. So it's free with purchase. So if you live somewhere where you can't come to our studio or you can't come because of COVID, it's a great alternative.
1: A really interesting influencer marketing campaign you guys could do could be sending out these packages like to people to like get them to post on their stories about the experience. And then I mean, obviously not like maybe like offer like, I don't know, a small discount like on a jacket or something, but I feel like just getting people more aware mm-hmm. of like your try at home. I would love mm-hmm. to do that. Actually, I'll just I I'll would just do to. it for you. I would like, love to. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like getting people because like it's just different, right? It's not yeah. like your typical unboxing. And I think if like enough people are kind of talking about it, a low cost of investment I think you shipping them out obviously and getting them yeah back, so it costs but...
0: 85 yeah for us we just have to make this more stock because something we've run into now is like we only have a certain number of and and you know let's say that this one's already out we have to wait for them to send it back right. to us before right. we can send it out again so that's kind of what we're concentrating on right now is especially in our popul- most popular sizes making sure we already have duplicates but making sure we have three or four. But I think that's a great idea. And I would love to send you on before maybe maybe before you leave. It is great. And and we were lucky that we already had that and something that we already were doing, but that we definitely want to do more of is concentrate on online. And I would classify try at home as online. But it's an mm-hmm. online experience that translates IRL. And that is that's pretty cool, because I think a lot of experiences just stay virtual and to be able to kind of cross the, the line is cool. But yeah, great idea. Thank you.
2: Something that I'm curious about is how did you come up with the styles and the names for the styles? They're such iconic Name-sake. names. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's get into that.
0: So I'm named after Rosa Parks and Rosa Luxemburg, who are two amazing, strong, badass women to be named after. And I've always been kind of inspired by that idea of like, those are my namesakes. I need to live up to their legacy. That's the kind of the whole idea behind namesake is that each of our styles is named after someone who's changed the world or left a powerful imprint on the world in some meaningful way. And the idea is, you know, you, you put on your leather jacket and you get to be whoever it is you want to be grace jones or yoko ono or frida Kaula or you know now we have our men's jackets as well and so i i really think that more than just being a, a cool jacket, you really take away from it this idea that you're carrying, carrying a bit of that woman with you. When you get your jacket, it comes with a little postcard about that woman as well, or whoever it was your jacket was named after, just to kind of inspire you to join that group of amazing, powerful people. And I think especially in times like now, it's really important to remember kind of those people and strive to be a namesake and be be someone who you're who you would want to have a jacket named after one day
2: it really ties together the personalized and the customized element of everything from start to finish with the finishing touch of, you know, reading about the woman behind your jacket or what your jacket was named after. I find it to be like just the bow on the present. Yeah, no, for sure.
1: So you have, you know, women's wear jackets, you have men's wear jackets, leather accessories,
0: leather pants.
1: What is next for you guys?
0: So we're really excited that we are actually moving our studio um, to a new location that is going to be much bigger and better. And it's also going to be open to the public. And so the exciting thing about that is it allows right now we're open only by appointment. Our new studio is going to be both a studio and a showroom and what that means is that people can kind of stop in and actually see things being made. And we have a separate area that is a showroom that's also going to be for lifestyle pieces. And so what we really have started developing is this whole kind of aesthetic and lifestyle surrounding the brand. So a few years ago, we launched, you know, we did a collaboration with an interior designer and we made these amazing leather scented candles and they like, we can't keep them in stock because people are like, oh my God, I love the smell of leather. It smells just like your studio. And so being able to kind of come up with other items that bring the namesake experience home to you, as well as thinking about the leather jacket as the centerpiece of your wardrobe, but what else goes with that? So might be wearable, it might be in terms of kind of lifestyle items, but we're really excited about that. We're also, part of it is going to be a photo studio that is available for our community to use and, you know, that really what that is about kind of trying to expand not just the namesake lifestyle brand, But our community and having a place that local influencers or designers or whoever can come in and and kind of participate in. So uh, we were planning on launching it in May, but then the world had other plans for us. So now we're planning on hopefully launching it for September. But um, the space is currently under construction and hopefully will be ready very, very soon. I'm really, really excited to when this launches, hopefully it will be open and and everybody can come and check it out because it should be pretty, pretty cool. And one other thing on that is going back to the pop-ups, traveling so much in the last year, year and a half, we kind of noticed in so many cities, there are these really cool concept spaces or concept stores and. Toronto doesn't have too many of them Um, you know we have the odd little concept boutique but in terms of like more of like a larger scale concept store we don't have really any this is kind of my tiptoeing into that that territory and I'm definitely going to see how it goes and test the waters but that's kind of the direction that we're we're trying to take things.
2: We've also talked about that before, uh, how Toronto is lacking that artistic element that concept stores bring to a big city or just cities mm-hmm. in general. What it's also going to bring is that
1: like level of transparency. I mean, you guys are already like, you know, people who come in on appointments to see or to order their jackets, see the whole production there, but to really like have it, you know, out in the open and and having, you know, whoever comes by whether they are interested in the jacket or interested in collaborating or just interested in using your space, they're going to see like exactly what you guys are about and like there's going to be less space for people to like make assumptions on your process or on anything and they're just going to see exactly who you are and i think that vulnerability and transparency is so essential in businesses these days with, you know, everything going on with sustainability being at the forefront and yeah, just for the fusion of future of fashion as a whole.
2: Totally. I think people are bored with seeing the same items on other people, you know, your friends buying the same things. And I think that the customization element mixed with like you being involved in the process of going there, touching the fabric, building your own, it's almost like you're designing your own jacket, even though you're not physically <laughs> constructing it. I think it's really special. And I think that's where fashion is moving, the more people get educated about the waste and the poor conditions and how fast fashion is really just terrible to the environment, to people in all aspects, I think people are moving towards investing in pieces that will last a lifetime or last a long time that they can pass down, that they can keep as treasures, almost collectible items. And they're buying less, more minimal, and they're investing in pieces that are actually worth their while. So why not get something that fits you literally perfectly?
1: Because it's all about that capsule collection now, right? The capsule wardrobe. So
2: Mm What are some tips that you have for designers out there that may be trying to start a niche brand?
0: Hmm. I feel like the first tip is not really a tip, but it's more don't do it unless you love it with your entire being. There's nothing easy about about this. I think that because of Instagram and social media, there's also an often an over-glamorization of the industry, and it looks like it's all photo shoots and this and that, and it's like not. It's a lot of hard, hard work, and especially if you are the sole founder or partner in the company, you, for the first five years, are going to carry that brand like it is your baby and put in more blood sweat and tears than you ever could have imagined and I think that unless you truly believe in the product you're making and believe that there is a place for that niche you shouldn't do it if you do believe that there is a place for that product and a need for that niche do it but just be prepared for the amount of work and um you know do it wholeheartedly. That is really my advice. And then this one's hard because you have to be in a position to be able to do this. But I think the other thing is, is if you can do nothing but that, the amount, the, the, when you put your focus into something, that's when it really starts to happen. So, you know, for the first year and a half that I had my business, I was also working full time. And obviously I had to do that financially because I I needed to support myself. But when I finally was able to put my entire focus into namesake, that's when things really started happening or shifting or changing for me. And I think that you don't necessarily need to not be working or doing anything else, but then mentally pour everything else into it because things aren't just going to happen. You have to really, really, I guess it's all the same point, be prepared for hard work.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something we like to ask on the podcast are, you know, assumptions about the space, about, you know, whether it be being an entrepreneur or whatnot. What are some assumptions that you had? I mean, other than it's way harder Mm -hmm. and and takes way longer than you would have expected that you had about getting That I prior
0: had? I mean, for me, I didn't like I said, I I literally got my first internship in fashion at 16 and was sweeping the floor of a sewing room for two years before I was able to do anything. And so I don't think I really had, and from that, you know, I interned for free for almost eight years, like for different designers, which is insane. So I, I think I was pretty like in check with what to expect. Mm-hmm. I think that the assumptions I probably had were, you know, early on, oh, if I could, if I could be featured in Vogue, or if I could get on this influencer, everything will change for me. And I'm very, very happy to say that earlier this year, we had our first solo feature in Vogue. And that was a huge, huge moment for us, but nothing changed really for the brand. And obviously, there are some influencers where I'm sure if you, you know, if you're dressing Kim Kardashian or Hailey Bieber, I'm sure things, might shift more, but maybe not. I don't know because maybe that's another assumption I have, but you know, I'm very, very lucky that I have dressed a lot of the, certainly of the New York influencer crowd or celebrity crowd. And that's amazing, but it's not a huge monumental change. I think that would be my biggest assumption is I set these goals for myself thinking it's going to change everything or blow it up and it changes things, but not in that kind of the way that you might expect.
2: We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for being on the pod today. It was great having you via Zoom. Via Zoom.
1: Do you want to plug yourself in and um, the namesake, by the namesake?
0: Sure. So if you are not familiar with the brand, please check us out on Instagram at bythenamesake and at our website bythenamesake.com. And when this is live, please come visit us at our new showroom and you can find out all the information on that on our website. And I can't wait to meet you all and dress you in
2: leather. Amazing. Thank Thank you you so much. Bye guys. We'll see you next time.